sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is called Dhyana Yoga. Dhyana means meditation. So meditation is the main subject matter of the sixth chapter. It is also called Atma Sanyama Yoga. Atma Sanyama, the control of the self. So whether you call it control of the self or call it meditation, that is the theme of the sixth chapter, the main subject matter. <coughs> One of the important things that Vedanta teaches, as we say in the morning, like the story of the tenth man, who is searching for the tenth man, he was told, you are the tenth man. <coughs> and so also a human being is searching for his ananda or happiness, is told that you are ananda. You are the happiness, you are the fullness that you are searching for. Now, this statement that you are limitless or you are whole or you are under does not agree with our experience of ourselves. I find that I am limited in every way. Not ananda but generally and happiness seems to prevail in my life. And so, now we have these two standpoints. One is what the Upanishad or the scripture says, that ananda or happiness is my nature, whether I experience it or not. And secondly, my mind says, no, no, I am a lacking, wanting person. And I therefore have to become free from this lack and want. I need something to become happy. <coughs> so Lord Krishna teaches a life of yoga. Yoga is a way of life that is based on this teaching that you are what you are trying to be. May the life become a process of accomplishment of what is already accomplished. Achievement of what is already achieved. What this means is that happiness is not something to be acquired. If the self is of the nature of happiness, then Happiness is not something to acquire from outside. If happiness is my nature, how come I do not experience it all the time? Even now and then when I do experience happiness, it is my own self that I am experiencing. It looks to me as though the happiness came from something else. Because a dear friend of mine came and I was happy, so I think that he is the source of happiness. Or because my father gave me a new car, I am happy, I think therefore that car is the source of happiness. And whenever a desire is satisfied, then I feel happy, so I feel that that object of desire is the source of happiness. That's a natural conclusion to be drawn. 
But Vedanta says, then look at your experience of happiness. What happens to you when you're happy? Is happiness a phenomenon within you or is it without you? Is it a subjective phenomenon or an objective phenomenon? We all know that happiness is a subjective phenomenon. It is something that happens within me. It happens in my mind. So what happens at that time? Either when I feel happy, there can be one of the two things. One is happiness which was not there came to me. Happiness which was not there got created. And that's why I felt happy. Or happiness which was there but was obstructed, was inhibited, became manifest. Say creation is one thing, manifestation is another thing. What is creation? Creation is coming into being of something which is not there. Like a child is born, was not there, has come into being. A pot is created, was not there, has come into being. But then, when the sun comes out behind the clouds, that is a thick layer of clouds covering the sun, and when there is a, an opening in the clouds, and sun becomes momentarily, when you experience the sun momentarily, is it creation of sun? Is the sun was not there and has come into being? Or sun was already there? Even when it was there, I was not able to experience the life because, lights because of some obstructing factor such as clouds. And momentarily when the clouds clear, there's an opening, I have a glimpse of the sun. It may happen that other clouds may come and again cover the sun. Again I'm deprived of the experience of light of the sun. Again maybe breeze may come, take the clouds away momentarily, I may have a glimpse of the sun. So every time I have a glimpse of the sun, I should not think that sun which was not there, it comes into being. Sun which has been there becomes, this is called manifestation. Manifestation means coming to, becoming an object of experience which was there but not experienced, now becomes an object of experience. Similarly also when we feel happy, it can be one of the two things. That happiness was not there and because of a pleasurable experience, happiness was not there, came into being, that can be one conclusion. Or other reason also could be that happiness, the self was always there, but was covered by the clouds, was inhibited, covered, obstructed. The ananda or happiness which is by nature, its expression is obstructed by something. What is that something? Lord Krishna would say, Raga and Dvesha, likes and dislikes. That's a broad term which includes 
all various negative tendencies of the mind. Whether you call it anger, you call it greed, call it jealousy, call it frustration, whatever you call it. Various tendencies will disturb my mind, which make me feel uncomfortable, which make me feel restless within myself. All these various tendencies are grouped into these two, Raga and Dvesha, attachment and aversion. So Vedanta teaches that when you experience happiness, it is not that a non-existent happiness has come into existence, but that a happiness, a happiness which is already there becomes manifest, becomes an object of your experience. This is very important. The scientists say that there, is, that there was no consciousness before a certain time. And when a certain combination of matter took place in what they call the primordial soup, then consciousness was created. Or they would say that in the brain also when certain chemical phenomena go on, consciousness is created. That's what they say. But when you switch on the light and the bulb starts glowing, would you say that electricity is created? Electricity was always there. What the switching of light switch does is it just, electricity was there, becomes manifest as light. So Vedantin says that the consciousness is always there. What happens in that primordial soup is that organic matter is created, which is the right medium for manifestation of consciousness, meaning that consciousness is not created, is not a product of the combination of matter, but combination of matter is creates a right vehicle for the manifestation of consciousness. What is unmanifest was there, was not experienced, now becomes manifest. And so also happiness is always there as my very self. But because of the clouds of likes and dislikes, which in turn are created because of my ego sense of individuality. Because that I, as long as I look upon myself as an individual being, moment there is this sense of individuality, I'm going to feel inadequate. Because an individual is separated from everything else. I am not everything other than this body-mind. And therefore, I feel a separation from the rest of the world. I feel being excluded by the rest of the world. Therefore, I feel separated, isolated, small, insecure, needy, wanting. Ego means insecure, ego means needy, ego means wanting. Stronger the ego is, stronger the sense of need or want is. Some people are weak, so he's very egoistic. He always tries to dominate everybody, tries to throw his weight around. 
tries to assert himself. We think that a person who is very assertive, dominating, is a very strong person, so we think. In fact, more assertive a person is, more dominating a person appears to be, more needy the person is, more inadequate he feels. And so, with the idea of ego, sense of individuality, the inadequacy, the need, the want, the insecurity is always associated. And therefore, I am looking out to the world, seeking security, seeking to feel good. So whoever becomes, in my opinion, whoever I look upon as a source of that comfort or security or happiness becomes very important to me. So many things in the world have become very important to me. Basically what is important to me is myself and my happiness and my comfort. That is really the most important to me. Each one of us is very selfish. In a way. We are born selfish meaning that we are born with a natural love for the self. And therefore, my mind is always looking out, scouting, as to where is, who is it, or what is it that can give me comfort that can make me feel comfortable, secure, happy. Since my comfort or my happiness is very important to me, therefore, whatever I look upon as a source of comfort or happiness also becomes important to me. See how things in the world have become very important to us. It's because we judge them as the sources of happiness or comfort or security. And I seem to feel that way also. In presence of some people, I feel very comfortable, very secure. In presence of some others, I feel insecure also. And therefore, those who create in me a sense of insecurity, fear, sense of rejection, I don't like them. I do not like people who reject me, who dominate me, who make me feel insecure, who cause pain to me. I don't like them. And there were, whether they are people, or events, or places, or see, it can be a place also. Like young, young children, we're all going to school, walk to school, about a 15 minute walk, and pass through different streets. And somewhere there were these aggressive dogs, you know. When you enter that street, the dog is waiting for you and he chases you and run for your life. You don't like to go to that street. But sometimes some bullies are there. When you pass the street, they, they threaten you. They perhaps uh, give you a punch also. You don't want to go there. So whatever causes me discomfort, insecurity, unhappiness, I don't want that. And there are some people who are very kind to me when I'm pa- pass through and then I like to go there, that way. 
So because I find myself a needy person, in need of comfort, in need of security, in need of happiness, I look upon the world seeking that comfort or happiness or security and whoever appears to give me that becomes very important to me. Sometimes becomes so important to me that I, I, I hold on to that. I don't let it go. I become in fact a tremendous burden to that person also. But I can't let go because it's very important to me. And by the same token, some other people become the objects of my dislike or aversion also, whom I view, I perceive as sources of my discomfort or insecurity or unhappiness. <coughs> Since the world is made up of so many different kinds of people, so many different places, so many different situations, and they're all different from each other, therefore it cannot be that all of them will be in the same category. Surely there will be some which will become the object of my like or attachment. So what is meant by attachment? Attachment is when I feel that I cannot do without a certain thing. Basically, I cannot do without being happy or comfortable. And therefore, whatever is judged by me as a source of happiness or comfort, I cannot do without that also. I become dependent upon them. Thus I find myself dependent upon many people or many things in life. And their favor is extremely important to me. If they are favorable, then I am happy. And therefore, I work hard to make them favorable also. So we work hard to keep some people happy. Those are very important to me. I work hard to keep them happy. To keep them in good humor, as they call it. So that they will accept me. So that they will not reject me. So that they will accept me. And so that I'll feel comfortable, secure, happy. Sometimes I go out of my way. When I'm attached to somebody, and somebody they said favor is very important to me, it is quite possible that to acquire that favor, I might even hurt somebody, I may be even unfair to somebody in order to, you know, to acquire the favor of that one. So attachment often always brings about aversion and often brings about unfairness also. Because my emotional need is so strong that sometimes I, I cannot be very sensitive as to whether what I am doing is right or not. So right and wrong becomes less important than my getting what I want my comfort is the most important, therefore, very often, in order to feel comfortable, I may find myself even compromising what is right and wrong. That is how what is right and wrong is dharma. And very often when my emotional need or my need is very strong, then very often dharma or righteousness or what is right 
is sacrifice, is compromise. I find myself violating the value. I find myself telling lies sometimes, little ones. You know why? Even you know now you're not not a big lie, but a little manipulation. You say things very cleverly, which can be sometimes interpreted two ways. You know, and uh, some you say it in such a manner that the listener understands the way you want them to understand. And when they find they later on ask you, "Hey, you told me, but I told you this. Why meant this?" But then we do find ourselves compromising little by little. Not we are not big liars. We are not stealers. We are not thieves. Yes, we are not. A little bit. So when this attachment and aversion are very strong, when I dislike something very strongly, because I look upon that as a source of my insecurity or discomfort. Then anyhow to keep it away from me. Anyhow I must avoid it because I just cannot stand it. I must avoid. Just keep it away. It is possible that in that process I may be unfair also. I may employ unfair means to avoid. <clears throat> hey, there was this function at your home. How come I did not know? Well, I called you. Maybe you're away. You should have left message on. I think I, I left a message on a wife. Who knows? I mean, after all. So anyway, that person comes to know that the person was not present in a very important function, and he accuses me that I did not call that person. Whereas I say that I did call him. I wrote you a letter. Maybe he did not reach you. The postal problem. You know. Or I made a phone call. You are not home. You know. You are away. Something like that. Knowing fully well that this is not so. Knowing fully well, I did not. I wanted. I didn't want that person to come. But then the formality requires me to invite them. You know. And I don't want them. So I find out ways of somehow avoiding them. And maybe I will tell some lies also to justify. My action, I justify lack of my action. They're all little things, you know. But then, why I'm saying is because these things do happen in our day-to-day life. <clears throat> and how dharma or the values become violated or compromised because I am ruled not by my values of what is right or wrong, but often I'm ruled by my likes and dislikes, attachments and aversions. <clears throat> sometimes they are so strong, and more needy I am, stronger the attachments and aversions will be. Stronger I will want those who I think will give me happiness, and stronger I do not want those who I think will give me unhappiness. <clears throat> and stronger the likes and dislikes are, more likelihood there is of compromising value, of violating value, <coughs> of compromising dharma or what is right. This is how 
But Vedanta teaches us that it is all these negative things, that all this compromising these values, violating the basic laws, all of these ultimately build up little by little. Telling one small lie is not a big deal, not a big deal. But it, it, it always has its little effect upon my mind. A little small lie, a little effect. Each one is not significant and I don't feel its effect. But all adds up, little by little by little. Like small little stain on my cloth, not a big deal. A little stain. Let's say maybe in a, for a, in a month, my my cloth will be completely stained with all kinds of things. And so also, if you do not pay attention to our mind, do not pay attention to our interaction in the world, do not pay attention to how sometimes we violate this values little little. Then, in course of time, all these little negativities will build, as in a building up, they become very strong. Each one is very small, but when you add up all little things, then it gathers a momentum. And I find myself a person who, is, who, who suffers from a conflict, internal discomfort, I am not a happy person. So, these are the causes of unhappiness. What causes unhappiness is this build-up of little violations of values. Every time a violate causes a little conflict. And these conflicts build up. I may not even know why I'm unhappy, why I'm sad. But every time a value is violated, I feel little unhappy with my own self because internally I have value for speaking truth and when I tell a lie I know internally that I'm doing something wrong and I have a dislike for the self or the I who compromises values, who, do, who violates values, who doesn't have I have an expectation of myself. Understand that I have an expectation of myself. That I should be a truthful person. I should be a non-violent person. I should be a kind person. This is what I expect myself, from myself. Because that is what I expect from others. I expect other people to be kind to me. I expect other people to be honest to me. I ask other people not to hurt me. Just we are very clear in what we expect from others. But something, this may not be very clear to me or to us that we expect the same thing from ourselves also. In the heart of my heart, I want to be a kind person, never a cruel person. I like to be a person having compassion, sympathy, and not cruelty. So I often give this example, when somebody is ready to take a picture of mine, 
Swamiji posed for a picture. Then how do I pose? So smile. Even if there's no smile, I, an artificial smile, it becomes evident, of course, you know. But I still bring a smile in, on my face. I never make face make. I mean, you know, I never make a face as I'm angry or something like that. Because even my picture of an angry person, I don't like. I do not like myself being an angry person or a jealous person or an unkind person or a cruel. I don't like myself really. So just as we have likes and dislikes with reference to world, we also have likes and dislikes with reference to ourselves also. I like myself to be a loving person and not a hating person. So every time I act as a hating person, <coughs> even though outwardly I may look like a loving person, but inwardly I have different intentions. Sometimes there is no alignment between our intention and our actions. We say one thing, but internally we mean something else. I may, I may be very kind, you know, because it's all social, what they call social skills. So when people come and then you smile at them, shake hands and wish them well and all that stuff, this is all formatted. Inside, I hate that person, I don't like him. But outwardly, I don't express it. So very often there is a misalignment between my intention and my action. Understand that a part of my mind makes note of all of this. I cannot, ex cannot escape from my own consciousness because the, the, there is something within me that tells me that this is not right, Swami. If you smile in the person inside, you're hating that person. That's not right. Something tells me. It registers. And there were no violation, in fact, goes unregistered. And no compliance also goes unregistered. Meaning that when I tell the truth, it does not go unregistered. My mind knows I spoke truth. I was kind to that person. I helped that person. Is also registered. And whenever I do that, I like myself. I become likable in my own perception. I feel sometimes proud of myself, happy with myself, satisfied with myself, the hey, I did something. So understand that in order to be happy, we don't need to do big things. To be happy, all we need to do is to act in keeping with our own expectations of ourselves. Understand that our mind or we have expectation of our own self. I have expectation of the world, of course, I want world to be whatever, to be kind, to be, that I, I demand. But my demands of the world outside ultimately arise from my demands of myself. A very strict standard of myself. Always judging myself. And always branding myself. I am good, I am not good. I am worthy, I am not worthy. 
is acceptable, I am not acceptable. Understand that that judgment is always going on. And whenever I judge myself not worthy, not able to live up to my own expectations, not able to live up to the values, then in fact I become, I dislike my own self. I become unworthy in my own perception. We, whether the world knows it or not does not matter. Because we are conscious of ourselves. This is called self-consciousness. As our Swamiji says, this, this, is this old lady is going to a party. Because of old age, there are wrinkles on the face. So she applies a special makeup to hide the wrinkles and so the face looks younger which is good I see nothing wrong in that that's okay look good nothing no problem unfortunately this makeup is such that this thing will last for three hours and it's alright you know, that, that's all she needs for the party but as the three hours are coming to, 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 to end you know she becomes a little concerned inside, you know, as to what's happening to my face. So every now and then she pulls out a little mirror and looks inside. Okay, okay. Because I can hide wrinkles from others, but I cannot hide the awareness or knowledge of wrinkles from myself. I cannot hide that. And so also I can hide my little violations from the world. Depends on how clever I am, how smart I am, whatever. But I cannot hide them from myself. And all these little violence, the violations, they all build up. And that is in fact what is the cause of my unhappiness or sorrow or sadness. If we do not pay attention, this can build up until to make me even depressed or depression. All of this is only from self-dislike, nothing else. There is no cause of my happiness other than my disliking myself. And there is no cause of happiness other than my liking myself. Whenever I like myself, I am happy. Whenever I dislike myself, I am unhappy. Simple as that. Nothing else. Whether I pass the test or not is a different matter. Whether I gain success and wealth in my life is a different matter. If all those achievements make me feed myself that I'm, you know, I'm likable, then it's fine. Then they will make me happy. Even in spite of achievement of those things, I do not feel that I'm likable, they will be ineffective in making me happy. Poor human being does not know the simple thing. Because his conclusion is that happiness always comes from something else. And therefore, for the whole life, he is always striving to achieve what he does not have, to acquire what he does not have, to become what he is not. Not recognizing that happiness is a subjective phenomenon. All that he needs to do is to become acceptable in his own perception. Therefore, what should he do to be happy? And there is no choice in being happy. 
to be happy is a is a natural desire. Not a cultivated desire, a natural desire, meaning a desire I am born with. And that is the desire behind all the desires anyway. So that in order to satisfy the desire for being happy, what should I do? Should my life become a process of acquiring what I do not have? Or rather, should my life become a process of creating an atmosphere in mind so that I become likable to myself? What should I do? For being happy. And this happiness means success also. Even though the world may equate success with wealth, etc., but really that is not success. Success also is only when I am happy. Even though the world may call me a successful person, important is whether I call myself successful or not, that is more important than whether the world calls me successful. It's quite possible that the world may call me a failure, but then I am, I am thinking that I am successful, that's fine. Or world may call me a successful person. If I think I'm a failure, well, that's all that counts. What counts is my opinion about myself. It is true that very often my opinion of myself is based on world's opinion of me. And therefore I'm always seeking approval, trying to please others so that they will think good of me and then I'll feel that I'm okay. But ultimately, what counts is my opinion of myself. <coughs> so what does, what is, what makes sense? What kind of life should I live? Should my life become a process of acquiring what I don't have? Hoping that when I get them, I'll be happy? Or rather, should my life become a process of getting rid of all those inhibiting factors, things that are all built up in my mind, those little violations that are built up in my mind, which cause sometimes jealousy, sometimes anger, sometimes resentment, sometimes frustration, sometimes sadness. That is what obstructs or inhibits the happiness which is my nature. Therefore, who is an intelligent person? intelligent person is called yogi. At the end of this chapter, Lord, tasmad yogi bhavarjuna. Here, you know, therefore, we become a yogi. Live a life intelligently. Recognize, recognize what it is that you want. That you just want happiness, nothing else. And happiness is nothing but the inner satisfaction that you have with yourself. The inner satisfaction comes when you are worthy in your own perception. And that worthiness comes when you fulfill your own expectations. And those expectations are nothing but basic values of life. Recognize that you have an expectation of yourself that you should be able to follow those basic values of life, such as honesty and truthfulness, non-violence and kindness. Therefore, living a life of these values then would be a process of making our life successful. Is it not so? In the true sense. Therefore, 
our life rather than becoming a process of acquiring happiness should become a process of bringing happiness to manifestation rather than attempt to create another sun all we need to do is to remove the clouds so also rather than trying to create the sun that is happiness our attempt should be only to remove the clouds which are obstructing the manifestation of happiness so all these obstructing factors are reduced to these two attachment and aversion raga and dvesha likes and dislikes all those little irritants which are there in within me those irritants that make me irritated with myself which make me uncomfortable with myself all those can be reduced to these two raga and dvesha <coughs> then there is one way of life which is what an ignorant person does who is called a samsari what does he do he always wants to fulfill his ragadveshas thinking that fulfilling ragadveshas will make him happy not recognizing that if you fulfill your ragadveshas or likes and dislikes they in fact become stronger than before so these likes and dislikes are compared to fire and fulfilling likes and dislikes is compared to pouring butter in the fire you cannot quench fire by pouring butter in there the fire becomes stronger and more demanding and so also we cannot hope to quench the fire of likes and dislikes by satisfying likes and dislikes the very famous verse which says nijato kama kamanam upabhogena samyati bhavishya krishna vartmeva bhuye eva vivardhate ॉमानो more we satisfy the likes and dislikes stronger they become and stronger the likes and dislikes more dependent i am more helpless i am so a person who is committed to doing what he wants always at any cost i must get what i want at any cost i must avoid what i don't want at any cost i must only fulfill my likes and dislikes that person does not recognize that in that process he keeps on becoming more and more dependent more and more helpless because his own likes and dislikes control him like our swami ji gives an example when this lady this woman takes a dog for a walk in the morning in the beginning the dog is not woken up so she is pulling the dog making it walk after a while the dog is all woken up is all energetic then that's he starts running and then he, she pulls the lady 
So in the beginning, we satisfy our likes and dislikes. In course of time, they control me. <coughs> and therefore, an ordinary person, what we call a samsari the person, samsari the one who is controlled by likes and dislikes, and he does not know any better. He is no viveka. He doesn't have discernment in life. And therefore, he goes on fulfilling whatever likes and dislikes he has, becoming more bigger and bigger slave. That's how all the addictions, everything comes. Because in the beginning, Swamiji, I just needed one cup of tea, one cup of coffee. But now I find I need stronger and stronger coffee. The coffee is becoming stronger because to create the same effect, that mild coffee was not enough. Even one cup is not enough now. Swami, we have night in the morning when we wake up, my husband and wife, both of us sit down on their swing and have tea. We have a whole pot of tea. Have three or four cups of tea. Nice, enjoy. But then the thing is that if you don't get that tea, then you are miserable. Therefore, it's not the person who is drinking tea, tea is drinking him. The thing is, do we have the freedom? The, the criterion is whether do I have the freedom to do what I want to do. As I said, human being is gifted with what we call the free will. But do I really exercise the free will? Or my free will actually is hijacked by the likes and dislikes. We think that we are free to do what we want, but we are not. Yes, we are free, looks like, you know, everybody exerts their freedom. I'll do what I want. Don't tell me what I should do. Even children also, as they grow up, they tell their parents, I know what I'm doing. Fine, I wish you knew what you are doing. Is it you who is doing what you are doing? Or it is your likes and dislikes that are doing what you are doing. It is wonderful to have freedom because freedom is, a, is, is what we love. And therefore we find everybody asserting the freedom because there is natural love of freedom. But very often we cannot distinguish between what we call freedom and bondage. We think that freedom means the freedom to be able to express my likes and dislikes. To do what I want and not do what I don't want. But that's not the freedom because it's not you who is doing it. It is your attachments and aversions that are doing that thing. And then where is the freedom? There is freedom when I exercise my free will. There is a freedom when my action is a deliberate action and not an impulsive action. So whenever my likes and dislikes, my feelings, my emotions, such as anger, etc., when they control me, then it is not a deliberate action, it is an action which is, in fact, performed out of helplessness. So people who are asserting their freedom may not know, may not recognize that in fact it is not freedom. There is some, there is some pressure inside. That, that forces me to do things. In the third chapter, Lord Krishna says, 
that a person cannot remain quiet even for a moment. Because the discomfort within his mind compels him to do things. So Lord Krishna says, do you have freedom not to do something? Then say that you are free. If you have freedom not to do something. So doctor has advised me to avoid sweets from now on because of the blood condition. The blood work is done. I am shocked to see the sugar content in my blood. <clears throat> and now you are so kind that you serve me the sweets anyway because you invited Swami. He comes to your home maybe once in a year or two. And Swami is, I'll just eat some bhakri and then, what is this Swami? That's not the way. And so when you come to my home, please don't observe these rules. But that's what everybody says, you know. So in all kindness, they serve you this sweets, which I love, of course. Now who decides whether I eat or not? Sometimes I don't even know that I just pick up and put it in my mouth and I realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to do that. Meaning that, that action is not performed deliberately, it is an impulsive action. Action performed out of impulse. I cannot, I don't have freedom not to eat that time. My freedom not to do something has been in fact, as I said, hijacked from me by my strong urges, strong likes and dislikes. So whereas I might proclaim my freedom to do what I want, in fact I am not free, understand? Therefore Lord Krishna says, are you free not to do something? Do you have the freedom not to eat that? Not to go there? Not to say this? Then know that you are free. But very often we don't have freedom not to say something. When I see a person, I just can't control myself. I have to say that. Whatever that person did to me, in my opinion, but then I'm holding a grudge about that person in the moment that the next opportunity comes. I'm waiting. I just say things. I'll tell him off, Swami. Do I have freedom not to say that? That's important. Saying that is not freedom, it's license. And so, do I have freedom not to violate the values? That's the question. Then you can say that, I am free to do what I want, and I am free not to do what I do not want. Very often, people are not free. So freedom is not license to do what I want. Freedom also is an internal or subjective phenomenon. Whether I have the control over my own impulses or not. Do the impulses control me or I control them? Because, and this becomes valuable to me. When I recognize that, it are these impulses, these, these, all these negative tendencies, they deprive me of the real freedom. They deprive me of the happiness. In fact, they are my big enemies. They are not my friends. The likes and dislikes are not my friends. They, in fact, they are my enemies. So Lord Krishna says, Indriyasya, Indriyasyate, Ragadvesho, Vivasthitao. 
Tayoho, Noshamagachet, Tauhyasya Paripanthino. Here, Juna, recognize that you are born with the tendencies of attachment and aversion. Meaning that usually we have a tendency to act out of attachment and aversion. That's the usual tendency. To relate with the world, to relate with people and things by way of attachment and aversion, that's all I know. So either my mind is attached to something, or it is an aversion for something. This is the tendency with which we are born. So Lord Krishna says, Tayoho Navasamagachet, he do not come under the sway or control of these tendencies. You have them. Do not come under their sway. Tauhyasya paripanthina because they are the enemies on your path of real happiness or real success. On your path of inner growth or inner maturity. They are enemies, not friends. Most people look upon them as friends. And they would think that all I, I need to do is to satisfy my likes and dislikes. Then I am successful. Whereas a yogi says, not satisfying likes and dislikes, but then keeping them under check, that's where the success is. So Lord Krishna says, your enemy is not out there. Your enemy first is within you. So Bhagavad Gita teaches Arjuna to fight the battle with external enemies, having first conquered the inner enemies. Lord Krishna says, whether you win the battle or not is not very important. Whether you win the battle in the battlefield is not that important. As much as winning your inner battle with your own inner enemy, that is more important. So Lord Krishna says, that hey Arjuna, it is your duty to fight this battle. Because you are a Kshatriya. And the duty of Kshatriya is to protect what is right. To fight for the right, to fight for righteousness, fight against the for the evil which are there to destroy the righteousness, to fight against them is your duty with the Kshatriya. But just because I am fighting does not mean I am performing duty. I am fighting with what kind of a spirit? Am I fighting out of anger? Am I fighting out of an aversion for them? Fighting out of out of a of a spirit of revenge? Am I taking revenge? Am I acting out of anger? Then you may be fighting with an outer enemy, but you are controlled by your inner enemy. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, first conquer the inner enemy. Sukhadukhe samekrutva labha labhu jaya jayu tato yuddha yujjaswa. Naivam papam avapsasi. Arjuna thinks that by fighting this battle, he'll wind up killing, killing people. He'll be a sinner because he's doing something which is against his value of non-violence. Lord Krishna says, it is not an action that decides whether action is violent or not. It is the spirit behind the action that decides whether an action is violent or not. If you are 
performing this act of fighting battle out of revenge, out of anger, out of jealousy, out of greed, then your action is violent. The same action you can perform, not out of greed or jealousy, but with a conviction that this is the right thing to do. Same knife in the hand of a murderer is crime. Same knife in the hands of a surgeon is not a crime. Perhaps a surgeon, while using that knife, might wind up, you know, there may be a lot of loss of blood, and it's possible that that patient may die also. Possible. And still, we will not call it crime, because the intention is to help the person, save the person. Whereas, when somebody stabs the other fellow, that fellow may not die. And still, we'll call that stabbing a crime, because the intention is to hurt that person. So intentions are very important. Action also is important, no doubt. But then intention is also extremely important, sometimes more important than action. So that is where we have to work. Yoga means working with all these inner feelings, inner emotions, inner intentions. And bringing them into alignment with the order or harmony that obtains in the universe. <clears throat> Which is when I find myself likable to myself. Which is when I find myself that I am worthy in my own perception. So that is the life Lord Krishna says one should live. That is the life of yoga. And what does that do? That progressively brings to manifestation the wholeness or happiness which is my own nature. It is not that you to acquire happiness. You have to bring to manifestation the happiness which is your own nature. And that is done by living life intelligently, living life properly. According to value. That way of living life is called yoga. And it's when that yoga or those values are brought into practice while performing karma or action is called karma yoga. <clears throat> and Lord Krishna says that before dhyana yoga, before you can meditate, Lord Krishna says that the two will be able to meditate where meditation is purely a mental phenomenon. So meditation is something which is internal. Karma yoga is something that is external. But then this external sadhanam or external spiritual practice is required for one to become prepared for the internal practice of meditation. Therefore, in the opening of the sixth chapter, although sixth chapter, as we said, is meant to teach meditation, but then Lord Krishna opens the state chapter with a statement wherein he first describes karma yoga. Karma yoga is the external means, meditation is the internal means, and therefore one should have practiced that external means before one can hope to be 
able to successfully do the or practice the internal means. So now, uh, tomorrow, as we see the sixth chapter, the first verse is uh, opening with Lord Krishna's statement. Let us read that first verse of the sixth chapter. Shri Bhagavanuvacha Anashritah Karma Phalam Karyam Karma Karotiyaha Sasanyasi Chayogi Chayogicha Shri Bhagavan said, Karyam karma karodhyaha, anashritaha karma phalam, anash without depending upon the result of the action. Karma karodhyaha, one who performs the action. Karyam karma, which is to be done, which is, a, which is right action. A person who performs his duty without expectation of the result of the action. Saha sannyasi, he is a sannyasi, he is a renunciate. Saha yogi cha, he is also a yogi. He is a sannyasi as well as yogi. Who is a sannyasi? Sannyasi means a renunciate. Who is a yogi? Yogi is the one who has a mastery over himself, over his mind. So Lord Krishna here, in the very first verse of the sixth chapter, praises a karma yogi by calling him a sannyasi and a yogi, calling him a renunciate as well as a yogi. Not only niragni is a sannyasi, arakriya is a yogi, but this karma yogi also, even though in the form he is not a sannyasi, not a yogi, in spirit he is a sannyasi and yogi. He is a sannyasi and yogi in making. In the form, a person may be a sannyasi or a yogi, but in the spirit, a person may not be. This person is not a sannyasi or yogi in the form, but in the spirit, he is a sannyasi and yogi. And therefore, one day, he will become a true sannyasi and a true yogi. This is how the sixth chapter is opened with the statement of Lord Krishna. We will continue our discussion tomorrow. <clears throat> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamogachade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantau Punapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bhedevi Bhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtayanamaha Om Shanti 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 Hari 
श्री गुरुभ्यो 